Hey, welcome to Flipping the Field, the college football podcast about all of college football. I'm your host, Patrick Mayhorn. I'm joined by Ryan Donnelly. Ryan, how's it going? Patrick, we are living large. Um, with my new connections into the uh, Argentinian modeling industry, I have to say our podcast is more financially sound than ever, mm-hmm. and um, we couldn't be more excited to be here. What are you modeling specifically? I'm not going to get into that. <laughs> That's a, our, our fans will find out when it's posted intrusively on their timeline, mm-hmm. uh, as they should at all times. I would love that. I, I would love that if you if you come back and you're just like you're you're entirely orange from spray tan. You just like <laughs> <laughs> you're 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 looking completely unrecognizable, short of the uh, the signature beard, and you you show up. Yeah. And you, you've got like you've picked up an accent that's not really from the area that you're in. You've picked up like a Russian accent somehow. I think that would be really good uh maybe we do uh you know we do like a calendar shoot for the two of us for next yeah. year we start sign flipping the field calendars <laughs> uh in 2022 uh and also somehow we become a podcast about like river plate football yeah uh you know like we get into like uh argentinian national soccer instead of college football and don't tell anybody mm-hmm. we just pivot overnight yeah i think that would kick ass i think that would be really cool yeah we're, we're becoming ultras for for the uh the most fascist argentinian soccer club <laughs> like we're, we're we're transitioning into a, a whole new era in the podcast um, we are we are sort of transitioning into a whole new era in the podcast here because Ryan, against all odds, it is preview season here in February. Let's go. Um, the way that we're going to do these this year is that as I am writing G five previews by conference this year for the outside zone, um, I figure it's easier to just do these while they're fresh in my head. And I've just finished the Mac preview, uh, which people, if they want. A, a deeper dive a little into, bit late this year patrick we were really hoping you get this done a little faster yeah <laughs> if people are hoping to dive <laughs> into any of these teams deeper than just a podcast they can read all of that stuff for five dollars at the outside zone on substack as well as the power rankings which are free um it's sort of a shorter look i say shorter the story's like four thousand words but sort of a shorter look at these teams um and i've because these are fresh in my mind we're going to do the mac now um once the cusa is done we're going to do the cusa is up next and once we're done with that we're going to preview that on here and so on and so forth with the g5s um and then with the p5 conferences those are going to be more ryan's bag and we will do those later in the off season um Ryan, we're going to go here, as we did last year, for, for those of you who are new to how we do previews, we're going to do them by tiers. Uh, we have five tiers here for the Mac with teams in them, and sort of a it, it's kind of a power ranking, kind of a contender list who we think can actually compete for the title, who is sort of just behind, as as people know, we are conference title-pilled, and that's the most important thing about this. So we're um, I, I think Correct. we're going to jump right into this here, unless we have any... I don't think there's a whole lot of college football news right now, save for Michigan's largest bagman being killed by the FBI um, in uh, in Stephen Ross. <laughs> um, yeah, but I mean, they account for that, right? They just always have another guy just like that. There's like, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's like when you're a Michigan football fan, when one pedophile uh, falls, two more rides take his place. A, uh, as we know, that's it's the hydra of pedophilia. You, you are living in the most glass house of all time with that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, is there a guy? I don't know. Like, I guess the only question is: Is there any guy out there that's still alive, worse than Les Wexner, 
uh, in terms of his connections to the Epstein situation. And is he a football booster to any particular, you know, like is, um, is what's his name? Which, which Prince is it? Uh, it's the Andrew, uh, Prince Prince Andrew. Andrew, Yeah. yeah. Is Prince Andrew a booster of any football programs? Um, is that possible? (laughs) (laughs) I I think we could, I think we could get him on board with one of them. If we, if we, if we did enough research, (laughs) give him a PowerPoint presentation for why he should be like a big Utah booster or something. I think he'd like that. (laughs) Let's go. Andrew, I hear you Um, like the Mormons. (laughs) (laughs) what is okay if you were let's say you know patrick i know you have some connections to him but let's say you were prince andrew Uh um what college football program do you think you'd become a booster for and and how how much would you involve the rest of the royal family in your in your plan (laughs) well you you've got to be thinking about about branding you have to be thinking about alignment you know with the with the program and i think that you have to be investing in old dominion as they are the monarchs and i I think that that just makes a lot of sense and there's nobody else doing it you know ricky ronnie of course deeply familiar with (laughs) with prince andrew uh and all of Uh all of the dealings that (laughs) prince andrew gets up to uh naturally right and he co-signs all of them uh, yeah he co-signs all of them as a i mean as a as a product of the james franklin tree that is a requirement you have to meet with the queen and and, you know you have to (laughs) endorse the monarchy so i i think that old dominion would make a lot of sense i think just in general if you're a very rich guy um and you have maybe some questionable dealings outside of that the best way to go is to just pretty much buy up a g5 program i I, like yeah look at what liberty has done right that's a really it's a it's a it's a great way to launder your image through a a team that um no one on twitter every time when they play will be really annoying about no one will be like oh you shouldn't support these guys because they're bad like uh it it, nobody's going to do that (laughs) nobody will look into who is actually running the program or who's financing it um, no one right. will write an expose for Vanity Fair that five people read, but 150,000 people retweet. Uh, no one will do that. You uh-huh. can just, you can just do it. You can just, you know, and, and it is, it is by the way, really funny that there are, um, like we, everyone posts like the Robert Mueller, I'm rooting for the rule of law, whatever uh-huh. tweet every Super Bowl now. Uh, you know what I'm talking about? The, yes. the Brian Krasenstein tweet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you're all rooting for whatever team I'm rooting for <laughs> Robert Mueller and the rule of law. Yeah. Um, it is funny that we make fun of that post all the time, but there are like 50 college football writers who basically every football game go, you may be rooting for, you know, Liberty or, or Kent state. I'm rooting for uh player's rights and like yeah. the opportunity to unionize and yeah. like, okay, man, like let's, let's take it back to the 2017 Bernie tweets. Like I've, I've had a little bit enough of that. Uh, we all get it. We all agree. No need to keep doing this. Come on. We, yeah. all, we all understand the context. Yeah. It's let's, let's just, uh, let's just watch the game. Yeah. Like I, I wrote as much about Liberty last year. It's like, yeah, obviously Liberty's whole thing sucks. Super bad but also they are playing football and you're allowed to just like football it's fine you don't I, I don't think that you become a good person by saying like oh yeah you shouldn't support liberty's football team like i don't know malik willis is pretty cool <laughs> you know? yeah was, like who? i mean fine. really literally who gives a shit like do you want there to be less fbs football teams think we should have fewer scholarships for athletes like yeah, i don't know like now, now who gives a fuck yeah, if they go to liberty we're turning it back liberty on already exists anyway <laughs> yeah, yeah it's not like i don't think that tweeting about how um you know uh, old dominion being supported by prince andrew is bad is going to stop that from <laughs> happening i think it's just going to uh populate my time what i really want is i don't want to see any tweets ever i don't want any (laughs) tweets in my timeline i want it perfectly clean so that i can be free from from the app entirely yeah we just want like us and like the you know roughly 30 to 50 uh posters that we enjoy seeing posts from uh to be on our timeline making jokes riffing with each other uh and everyone else just can just get off i think it's just it's just for our buddies i want to see the five foot one juggalo who jumps into like rusty tables i just want i just want to see that that's that's all that i want from from the website i don't want to see anybody sharing any opinions or really doing anything i just want that guy 
Did I tell you that I somehow got targeted for an Instagram ad uh, for something called <laughs> Extreme Dwarfinators Wrestling? <laughs> what do you mean somehow? That's you use every day. You wake up and you try to find that exact thing. <laughs> it is like a wrestling event that I think happens in Austin, Texas, once a year, and somehow they were targeting me, a guy who has spent the last nine years living in Ohio and is currently in South America to uh-huh. uh, end up with that thing. They you <laughs> Which I would love out. to know the process for the social media guy who got me there, but. Uh, He's a cool dude. Yeah, he, he knows what's... I mean, he, he did... It's like, uh, you know, it might not be what you need, but it, it might not be what you want, but it is what you need. You know, it's... it's <laughs> you, you didn't realize that this is what you were looking for, but it is what you were looking I'm, for. Uh, I'm I'm texting you the screenshot now if you'd like to take a look at the, okay. the ad. Uh, you're going to have to... Just... You're going to just have to hit that hit that up on your way back up from from, uh, <laughs> from abroad. I, I think that I'm you're... Gonna, yeah. All right, let's see. Oh, wow. Yeah, sure enough. They're not, they're not subtle about this, huh? <laughs> we are we are the sickest little show on earth. Damn. <laughs> That's our new tagline as well for our podcast. Which is That's right. Um, yeah, we are the sickest little show on earth. And this also is it's it's, it's essentially indistinguishable. This is the the um the audio version of that event, I think. It is just two uh-huh. know, just two little guys wrestling, except we're doing it with our voices instead of with our instead of with our very little bodies. Speaking of two little guys wrestling, let's get into Mac football That's for the right. year of 2022. Um, it's time to start with everyone's stupidest fucking program that I told you was an idiot and yeah. uh, would ruin their program by doing this. It's the Ohio Bobcats. Uh, it's it's Ryan's ultimate vindication team of the season. Yeah. Um, go Bucks. Um, I'm like I'm I'm a guy who's still angry about like the 2010 mascot fight between Bruce <laughs> Buckeye and the Bobcats. That's my new that's my uh-huh. new brand. Uh, congratulations um, on your job at Buckeye's Group. Thank you. <laughs> well, Patrick, um, after after Tim Elbin immediately shit the bed and just like lost all of the very mediocre as it was progress the Frank Solich made in Ohio, um, how long is his leash going to come out of the offseason? Yeah, so this is the first team in Tier 5. This is, I think, pretty easily number 12 on the power oh, rankings. Yeah. Buffalo is the only other team that really even kind of comes close here. Um, I don't think it's super long. It, it's from... from uh, I, I, this is going to sound like a joke because people know I do not do the sources stuff, but from talking to people who, who would kind of know about this and have some connections to Ohio, they're not super pleased about what's going on with, with Tim Albin, like more so than you would expect from people in the Mac looking at a one-year coach like former players were during games tweeting about how shitty they were and administrators were kind of looking elsewhere to see like is there somebody else we could get right now and not him um which is I guess sort of just what happens when you go three and nine and you look as badly as they they did in year one um sure after, you so know, what you're saying is Kerry Combs Ohio Bobcats head coach soon come um yeah sure why <laughs> why not um but this I, I think that that it's very jarring to have 20 years of going like basically eight and four, nine and three, and then you immediately fall off a cliff in a way that is not, not really for a lack of talent and more just you look incompetent. Like it's not like the talent here was ever amazing, but it wasn't, it wasn't like there was a significant drop off in the last couple years of Solich's tenure. These were largely his guys and they just sucked. They just sucked really, really bad at a lot of pretty basic things. They're, they're still running sort of the same, the same pistol option offense, and and I don't think that that's a huge problem as much as it was like they just didn't have any linemen who could block it, and their defense took a huge just 
fall off a cliff. Um, and it, it seems like we're kind of getting into with the coordinators, with the assistants, with the head coach, um, sort of diminishing returns here with, with a copy of a copy and, and where you've got now all been hiring an offensive coordinator and he was the offensive coordinator for so long. And Jimmy Burrow has been gone for a couple of years and now they're getting into the next DC hire after replacing him. I, I, so I don't, I don't think that the, I don't think the leash is super long here, especially with the, the Mac East being as down as it is um, going three and nine and then following that up with what I'm assuming is going to be not another, you know, another season of missing a bowl game. I think he might be done after this year. I, I think legitimately they might move on after two years because they have seen the depths before and now they've they've lived a life away from that, and I don't think that they're going to be super willing to go back to the depths. I, I would imagine that they're going to be kind of desperate to get off of his contract this season if he's not leading a, a bull. And, and it probably also helps that I mean, like they didn't, um, you know, they 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 didn't really pay a buyout or they didn't pay a buyout at all yeah. for uh, Frank Solich. So I mean, it it is kind of it's not like they're you know a program that's two years off of fire coach and has to try to find another one again. Like yeah. they have a lot more financial wiggle, I assume. Yeah, and and um, they did previously. And and Alban is set for a contract restructuring meeting at the end of this season as well. Like he, it was a it's a um, I can't remember. I think it was a five year deal that he signed five hundred thirty five thousand dollars a year, which is about part of the course for for the Mac, but. You tell me this guy's fucking broke. Um, yeah, this guy's broke, and they've already set like they set when they signed the contract that after two years they would look at it again, which is usually not a great um, vote of confidence in a in a new coach that you're saying, you know, we're going to give you two years and then we're going to reevaluate. I'm guessing that they kind of worried that this was a possibility and that they sort of because it was July just decided that they would go with this and then see how it goes as sort of a two year interim. Um, so it's it's maybe not maybe not as quite quite as disastrous as we thought last season when he when he was or as you thought last season when he was made the full-time head coach and not an interim but it's certainly not looking great uh for 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 Alban when they've you know they've got that deal coming they've got that meeting coming up anyway they might as well just fire him there if he's three and nine again yeah sure I mean I I think like sometimes you see a coach fail to a certain level and you kind of just uh you, you see how quickly you know, sometimes, right? You know, right away. Like, there's, there's very little like, to question about this, and um, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, to, to move on to more like kind of the personnel side of Ohio here, uh, they have Curtis Work at quarterback. Um, how much do you think letting a Canadian start a quarterback for their team is going to cause them uh, continued, you know, sin and punishment? You and got, what are the what are the repercussions here for the program? You, you got to think that that's that's the number one thing that's causing them problems right now. It's not that Tim Albin lost like nine one score games <laughs> or anything like that. It's it's that they have a Canadian at quarterback. Right, um, right, and, and the whole the whole backfield has some questions too, right? Because yeah. Demonte Tr- Tuggle has uh has left Ohio. Yeah, um, just what's up there? Yeah, Demonte Chan or uh, Demonte Tuggle is sorry. Him and him and, Demo- <laughs> him and Demonte. This uh, man's such Trano a huge is, Buckeye fan. He yeah, cannot stop talking. They about shouldn't Demonte be allowed Trano. to be in the same straight state. But <laughs> but uh, no, Demontre Tuggle's departure is bad. That's very, very bad. Um, O'Shawn Allison has not really gone back to what he was in 2019. A He's, guy I covered in high school, by the way. Yeah, he was really good in 2019, but he, he got hurt and just hasn't been what he once was. His his speed is just not there anymore. Um, and Tuggle was pretty much the whole offense last season. I, I, I like... Um, I don't want to pronounce his name wrong. I think it's Sia Bangura, who was a freshman last year. He's really, really fast, but also that's a freshman. You're asking a lot of him to step up into the toggle void, which was a, a major part of the offense. Um, I don't hate Curtis Work. I really don't. I think that 
once they finally stopped splitting time between him and Armani Rogers, who sucks majorly and, and is gone, uh, Rourke played pretty well. He he had a decent stretch down the down the end of the season. Um, I think he had four or five games where he had seven touchdowns to one interception, completed almost 70% of his passes. He's not as good of a, a runner as his brother Nathan was, but I think he can run this offense. It's just that the skill positions, after being kind of okay last year, are bad. They're very bad. It's It's either... You know, injured older players like O'Shawn Allison who need to, you know, return to form to be anything, um, brand new guys or just guys who aren't very good. Like Tyler Walton is back at receiver, but he had 32 catches last year and less than 400 yards. Like he's not, he's not very good. He's kind of small. He's he's more of a slot receiver. They don't really have tight ends. They don't really have a second receiver outside of him. So it, it's sort of, I think the. I think that the quarterback play probably improves, but everything around him is going to get worse. And so I don't, I don't really know what is reasonable to expect out of this offense, other than like, if Curtis Rourke goes nuts, I guess they could be okay. But that seems like a lot to ask. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, <laughs> I would say I would not project Curtis Rourke going nuts as the next iteration of this offense, <laughs> as not. I think you would it's, not either. It is not an offense that is super. Um, friendly to quarterbacks going nuts. It's it's like you don't usually see, you know, option quarterbacks. <laughs> or, or going in fact, crazy. anyone going nuts except the fans. The fans yeah. are the only ones going nuts watching this <laughs> offense. Uh, tell me more about the defense, though, Patrick. We're the side of the football. What should we expect here? So I think that if you're trying to generate some optimism about this team, it's probably on defense. I, I like Rourke, like I said, but that's still, <laughs> it's that's you know, it's a lot to ask. And and I I wrote in my preview. Um, that you you could you could sort of define this defense as either making a bunch of silly mistakes if you're trying to be generous, or as can entirely dog shit if you were trying to be a little bit more uh, blunt, because they they sort of went away from all of their older players by the end of the season and just did a bunch of really bad things, couldn't tackle, blown blowing coverages all the time, losing games because of those blown coverages, not really being in the right place at the right time. But it kind of felt like they did that knowing that this season they would need something to lean on uh, and knowing that the defense maybe taking a step forward because of a youth movement would be critical for Tim Albin saving his job. Um, I, I think that, you know, they, they, they do bring back most of their starters. They're losing, I want to say, four starters from the defense. Uh, could be even lower than that depending on COVID years. It's just finding some of those young guys to step up is going to be important for not only making this defense competent, but making it like interesting to watch. I think that that it could it could improve just by not having all of those dog shit mistakes that it had last year, and still be like a one hundredth in the country. And so so any sort of optimism here centers around like linebacker Bryce Houston being really good, or you know Kenan Blauser being really good next to him. Or finding... I do think Bryce Houston's pretty good, by the way. Yeah, I think I, he's a guy who's like traits project an improvement this season. Yeah, I, I like the linebackers, but I think that both of those guys stepping up and being you know all MAC kind of players is is pretty important for anything that they're going to be doing here. Because I don't love the secondary outside of like Roman Parody looked pretty good at times at cornerback. Um, you know, but outside of that, there's not a ton of guys in the secondary who are especially good. And the front seven or the, the front four is just wasn't, didn't really do much last year. Um, so I, I think that you're, you're looking at the linebackers, you're looking at somebody like parody, you're looking at, you know, maybe some of the transfers on the defensive line. Um, 
I'm trying to remember. Oh, yeah, Dante Hunter from Purdue is here as a defensive end. He was, I think he was a king, an Ohio king. Yeah, an Ohio king. I like him. I think that he could be good. He's replacing Alvin Floyd. Um, And, uh, yeah, he's not a – he's a – or uh, he's not replacing Alvin Floyd. He's replacing Will Evans. That's right, on the defensive end. But um, I think that the ends could end up being pretty good if he's ready to go, if Bryce Duggan is ready to go. But – it's you're sort of you're relying on young guys becoming stars for this defense to be anything interesting the i think the floor is going to be raised regardless but i don't know if the ceiling is is particularly high because it's sort of like with the work thing where you need a couple players to take jumps that it's just not realistic to expect um entering a season yeah for sure for sure um and that's why they're going to select this year. So, yeah, yeah. I, I <laughs> any think, other, I think that we're any I, other wrap up notes. No, yeah. I, I think Sorry, we're headed for very bad here with with Ohio. They they've got <laughs> they get FAU, Iowa State, and Penn State in the non conference along with Fordham, which is not super friendly if you're <laughs> if you're a team looking to get to a bowl game. And uh, the East being as bad as as it is is kind of nice, I guess, but it's not uh-huh. as bad as it was last year. And so I, I think they're I think they're pretty much fucked here. I think it's probably three and nine again. Yeah, so, um, I, I mean, any, any other takeaway notes you want to get to before we get to another team that no. has absolutely cratered their momentum they've had for the last few seasons? <laughs> no, I don't think so. Okay, so Buffalo. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what, uh, what's Linguist's fucking problem, man? What's his deal? So, uh, this team has turned over um, almost half of the roster just from the transfer portal in the last two years. <laughs> they had 20 tw- They had twenty players into the portal in 2021 and only three returned. Um 20 this offseason and I think two or three are back um, and then obviously they have your usual draft declarees uh, I think James Patterson the the linebacker is one who comes to mind as being very good they've had regular straight up graduation they've had players who just didn't pan out um, and so we're two years into a, a coaching tenure that was started late last offseason and we're already seeing pretty much a brand new roster for Maurice Linguist and so I don't know if we can really get a great feel for what his thing is yet because his shit is so just nasty right now. There's so much, there's so many question marks about his roster, about everything that he's doing. So I really don't know. I don't know what his deal is. I don't know what he wants to run. I don't really know what he wants this program to be. I think we're just sort of, I think he's trying to just stay afloat right now by bringing in a bunch of guys and hoping that some of them stick so that he can build around them moving forward. But he's he's not in a good place right now. Yeah, um, it, it's very difficult, uh, definitely, I think, on on this end. And uh, I, I mean, it's just, I, I think what we saw and what we already knew uh, is they had a pretty special coach before, right? Like, I, th- I think having Lance Leopold is just something that's, you know, very difficult to replicate. And it's a program that had not really won at that level consistently in a long, long time prior to Leopold arriving. And, yeah. and maybe, you know, obviously Linguist has his own challenges to kind of keep some guys, you know, uh, in the program there and recruit his own talent in an area that's very sparse. But at the same time, like maybe he's just not the guy to do it. I don't know. I mean, maybe it's too early to say that, but it, you know, kind of players flee at the level they have been or kind of recruits not come in at the level we should expect is, um, and also coaches leaving pretty quickly. Like there's just a lot of signs that I think it's probably not a good core there, you know? Yeah. Like I, I said as much last year in my, my preview for Buffalo, like there's a, there's a decent chance there's there's a good case I would actually say to be made that this is just never going to be what it was again. Like Buffalo might have seen its peak as a football program unless it, you know, <laughs> finds a way to work its, itself into an, an, a higher level conference because the talent base in that area is just not very good. Um, and I think that you need a really special 
coach with a specific way of doing things that is is harder and harder to find um maybe going back down to the the lower ranks and hiring a successful head coach like what they did with Leopold would make sense and and maybe they should do that at some point but I don't I just I don't know what the path out is here for for Buffalo because it seems like Mo Linquist is kind of a talent acquisition guy more than he is a scheme guy and that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me here. I, I don't think you can win with that at Buffalo, and maybe that's being reductive of, of Mo Linguish. Granted, we haven't seen a lot of what he wants to actually do on defense, but um, I, I, I think that you kind of have to win one with, with, if nothing else, you have to win with offense here. You have to win with a unique offense because it's easier to win with a unique offense than it is with a unique defense. But two, I think you just have to have a scheme advantage, and I don't I don't see Linguist really having that. Yeah, I tend to agree. Um, I, I mean, is there anything that's interesting to you this season, or is that pretty much just like where we're at? So I like Dylan McDuffie, who is back. He was in the portal, uh, running back, ran for a thousand yards last season. He was in the portal. Um, we said Isaiah's it- brother, I believe. Uh, <laughs> Isaiah McDuffie is also a college football player. I think maybe at Boston College, if I recall correctly. Potentially. Um, no, he's not for the. That would make sense. Yeah, he's now for the. Uh, he's now for the Green Bay Packers. Uh, he it was a. Uh, linebacker for Boston College for like four years. Okay, good yeah, player. We, we will better assu- than his brother. We will assume. Um, <laughs> but Dylan looked pretty good last year. I, I think that he can be uh, the the offense didn't really crater as much as maybe some expected it to because of McDuffie. Um, I thought he was going to follow Mike Daniels to Georgia Tech, but he did not end up doing that. Um, Kevin Marks is gone, which is a bummer. But I think that Dylan McDuffie kind of proved himself as capable last year. And so I, I like him. I don't really like the offensive line because every member of it is gone. Um, they, they're they sort of just bringing in a bunch of transfers and seeing who fits there. Um, other than that, not really. Matt Myers at quarterback is sort of just a guy. I don't think that Kyle Ventrese was much more than a guy anyth- either, but um, I, I certainly don't love Matt Myers. Um Damon Williams, the tackle on defense is pretty good. He's a Juco guy, all-Mac second-team pick. Uh, Max Michelle, I really like off the edge, uh, kind of a hybrid linebacker defensive end. Uh, it's going to be a new coordinator on defense this year, which is not usually a great sign uh, when, a, <laughs> when a defensive head coach fires his defensive coordinator after one year in town. We don't love that, but um, I like Max Michelle. I like Damon Williams. I don't really like a whole lot else about this defense. I, I think that... It's sort of like with uh, every other part of this team where you're kind of hoping just that some transfers will be <laughs> will be able to step up. Um, Elijah Blades from Florida, kind of interesting, I guess. Caleb Wofford from mm. Notre Dame in the secondary. Maybe one of those guys will be okay. Um, you know, Opry Washington at nickel was pretty good. I, I don't. I don't really know if there's a whole lot beyond that. They have a returning starter at safety in Marcus Fuqua. Um, Jamin Muse is here from Boston College. Uh, other than that, how about how about this? What if they, what if they had uh, starting safety Antoine Fuqua and he was uh, just directing training day instead mm-hmm. of playing safety? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that could work. I, I, they, I think they should. I think they should give that a look. Um, but I don't think these guys are going <laughs> to really be able to run or stop the run at all, um, or, or pass or stop the run at all. And so it's going to be sort of. They're going to have to control the ball on offense a lot with Dylan McDuffie behind a line that I don't think is going to be very good. And then on defense, it's pretty much just pass rush and a couple players in the secondary um, with no linebackers. So I, I, if that sounds good to you, I guess, then that's, <laughs> you know, maybe this maybe, one thing, maybe uh, something good here is going on. But other than that, I, I don't see much. 
One thing you did hit on early on there on the offensive side is uh, Mike Daniels leaving Buffalo for Georgia Tech, and who is he's who I referenced there with uh, the coaching departures. Yeah. Um, now on his third job in the last eighteen months, I think it is. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe I'm being a little bit ungenerous there. It might be slightly less time, but I think that's what it is. Um, you know, where does he go to next season? You think after after spending twenty twenty two Georgia Tech, what's his next destination? Oh, <laughs> uh, you you got to assume he's he's going to do the full world tour. So he's probably heading out to like USC. He's going to be the next USC running backs coach or something. Um, well, you got to say if Tony Alford ever finally gets one of these jobs, he interviews for every offseason. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to assume Mike Davis is going to try to leverage his relationship with his stepson uh, Paris Johnson to get that Ohio State running backs coach job. Yeah, it, um, it is very funny to think about. Funny. Yeah, Ohio State hiring a coach because of a player who is leaving, and the, <laughs> like a guy who's headed to the draft. Yeah, we got to get this guy. <laughs> yeah, we could, we could yeah, return this. We third, love that. We could bring back this third round offensive tackle if we hire this running backs coach. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> um, all right, moving on to Ball State. Yep. Uh, I want to start off a little little anecdote here about Ball State. I don't think I've mentioned this in the podcast yet, but uh, when I was living in Columbus, uh, the biggest guy at my gym uh, was a, and one of the most roided out human beings I've ever seen in my entire life. Just truly like was eating a trend sandwich every day for lunch. Uh, had the original recipe D-ball hidden away somewhere. Yeah. Uh, was He had the, you know, the cream and the, and the clear from Barry Bonds' trial. Uh, <laughs> he is a Ball State football alum, so okay. huge shout out to them. We love our Cardinals, um, as well as uh, friend of the show Ryan, last name Redacted's uh, parents being being Ball State people. Sure. Uh, you know. Anyway, let's hear it for Ball State. Uh, tell me a bit about <laughs> about what you expect from this program this season. Uh, not much. I don't expect much from them. I think last year was kind <laughs> of the year for these guys, and they blew it. They they really really blew it. Um, you know, brought back almost the entire part, the entirety of a seven and one MAC champion. Um, did so under the guise of repeating, of even getting better. Uh, you know, Drew Plitt came back. Uh, the majority of the passing game came back. Justin Hall specifically, most of a very good defense came back, and they just sort of got worse at everything. Uh, they were a they were a close game and turnover luck team in 2020, and and both of those things went in the wrong direction in 2021, and they finished six and seven. And now, uh, Plitt's gone, Justin Hall is gone, safety Bryce Cosby is gone. There are almost 30 departures from the from the contributors list in the two deep. Um, Mike New saying that he's, he's confident in the young guys, but I don't really know why he would be because most of them haven't played a whole lot. I, I guess the the defense was weirdly kind of young in some places, like in the in the second you know the second level, but they don't really have an answer at quarterback. They don't have a whole lot on offense outside of like Carson Steele at running back. I I guess Johannes Tyler and Jason Jackson could be pretty good, but you're losing your best wide receiver. Offensive line is a mess entire defense is pretty much brand new it's there's not a whole lot to be super excited about here i think that last year was the year and they they blew it pretty spectacularly that seems uh pretty fair to say i mean they just between like the quarterback play and like i don't know i, I just don't see what the upside is here yeah um it like you noted in your preview that i think we're leaning on a bit here it just seems like uh they aren't really good at any one thing on offense. There's not really any like no. particular strong suit where you can look at like for them to gain an edge. Um, John Paddock's just such an average, if not below quarterback. Yeah. Um, and the run game is just a complete lax explosion. I just don't really see like, I, I don't see the way this team basically scores enough points to make up for they lost on defense. Sure. Yeah. Like I, I think Carson Steele's okay at running back, but they're, 
line was bad last year and it only brings right. back three of those bad starters. Like it's, it's, you know, they're <laughs> losing both of the best two players, the guards, Curtis Blackwell and Anthony Todd. So they've just got like two not very good tackles and a not very good center. Um, but Steele is, is okay at grinding out yards. I think you can trust him for, you know, four and a half, five yards a carry generally. But yeah, John Paddock is kind of the career backup sort of archetype. Like I, I just don't really see it with him. I do really like, I don't want to pronounce his name wrong. They don't have a pronunciation guide. I think it's Kyle Kelly, um, K-I-A-E-L. So it could be Keel, but probably Kyle Kelly. He's good. He's a, mm-hmm. he's a rising sophomore. He was good as a recruit, like top 1,000 guy, um, which remember, we're, we're talking about the Mac here, so that's that's good. Um, he's he's good athlete, good player, I think, in general, creates creates plays hasn't gotten the chance to play a whole lot for ball state but if he's the quarterback i would be i'd be a little bit more interested in this offense just in general and i I think he's probably a better fit for what they need this year which is just playmakers guys who can get something to happen behind a not very good offensive line i if he's not fully ready i I don't want to damage his confidence but i think that if he is if he's close to being the guy you you go with him and you hope that he can make some stuff happen because like Johannes Tyler, we really like, and Jason Jackson, I think is is okay, but I don't see either of them as being like number one receivers in the way that Justin Hall was. Um, I, I I think that maybe Jackson can become that guy. You know, he's 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 okay. Tyler is six three. He can he can get some stuff going on the outside, but we haven't seen it from either of them yet. Um, don't really know who's going to fit in, into the slot line as a problem, like I said. So I, I think that you do need somebody like Kyle Kelly to really break through for this offense to offer an identity. And, and finding an identity this season with this youth movement, I think, is as important as anything else. And I just I don't see the identity coming out with John Paddock. So if if, Kyle, if, if Kelly's ready, I'd like to see him be the, be the quarterback, even if he's going to go through some growing pains. Cool. Um, that seems fair to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't really have. I don't know. I, I, I like you. Like you kind of hit it on there early. I just don't see much from Ball State this season. I, I think it's kind of. Um, I don't know. They're they're just one of the most boring teams in the league, right? Like it's just a little yeah. hard to get interest in, in what Ball State does. Yeah, like the the uh, the pitch here is their consistency, right? It's that they have continuity on the staff more than most of the other teams in the league. But they lose pretty much every defensive lineman. Linebackers weren't super good last year, and they don't bring back a ton of those. And the secondary is entirely brand new. So I, I think that it's a rebuilding year for a, a program that, admittedly, is probably better at handling a rebuilding year than most in the MAC. Like I don't think they're going to fire Mac New for this. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it is certainly a, I think it's a rebuild all the same. And, and so we're, there's not a whole lot to pull from Ball State this year other than just like, see if they've got some young guys who are kind of interesting and then move on. Yeah, pretty much. Well, let's get into a team that I think I am a little more excited by, at least if, if not for anything else, just because of um, one of the strangest and most surprising hires of the offseason. And yeah. I think something maybe any of us saw coming. Um, Akron now has Joe Moorhead as their head coach. Yeah. Uh, what's up here? <laughs> Yeah, that's a this is a huge deal, right? Like getting Joe Moorhead. I mean, we we talked about it on the coaching hires episode. He's good. He's like, he's a full on good coach. He was, you know, sought after by a lot of top teams for their offensive coordinator position. I don't imagine this was the only head coaching job he was reached out to about. Um, he he said in in the off season essentially that. You know, Akron's pretty close to home for him. He's a um, is he was he a Philly guy or a Pittsburgh guy? Uh, Joe Moorhead is originally from the Pittsburgh area. Okay. I'm like 99% certain. Yeah, yeah, he is. Uh, where do you play his high school ball at? Let me uh, see if they have it here in his bio. Hmm. 
Yeah, but he he basically said in the off season that you know Akron presents a chance to be kind of closer to home, closer to his family, um, and so that's why that's why he took the job. He thinks you can win at Akron. He sees sort of an opportunity in the East, which I don't blame him for because the East is wide open. Um, and so I, I think that there's a lot of reasons to be excited about the Moorhead era uh, in general, just because we've we've seen him yeah. you know create some really innovative, really good offenses at Penn State. I think that his Oregon offenses were good if not a little piece together on the back of a not great foundation but that's not really his fault and his mississippi state tenure obviously wasn't what they were looking for but i I don't think it was necessarily bad i think it was just sort of that they were coming off of their most successful era ever and kind of wanted to keep doing that and when he didn't they weren't super pleased about that but I, i again i don't think that was hugely moorhead's fault and i don't think that this is a uh, and an especially fair comparison to make at akron you know akron and mississippi state are wildly different jobs uh, and by the way, real quick, I did look it up here. Uh, Moorhead uh, grew up in uh, Penn Hills, my my uh, mom's hometown. Hmm. Uh, pretty much like uh, I think around the same age. My parents maybe a little bit younger. Yeah. Uh, but he he went to a very funny anecdote for me here. Went to St. Bart's uh, grade school uh, in Penn Hills, which I think no longer exists. But anyway, Pittsburgh heads out there may recognize it as the school that every other Catholic grade school played football at uh, in like the mid 2000s. Uh-huh. Uh, basically every Catholic school had folded. It's like athletic programs, except for like Catholic league basketball, because it was the cheapest thing to do. Yeah. Uh, so everyone played football all together at St. Bart's. Um, so shout out to St. Bart's. Then he was a central Catholic kid. We do not support that. That mm-hmm. is disgusting. And, and frankly, it does make me question the success of his uh, regime here <laughs> in the future. I am uh deeply disturbed to hear that he is a Penn Hills guy who went to Central Catholic, just not something we can support. Shameful. But uh, as a, as a football coach, we like him. He's good. As a football coach, he's cool. Yeah. Yeah. He is also, I was just reading through your, again, reading through some of the transfers they brought in here. Um, He is recruiting like every kid that let he basically his recruiting strategy from what I can tell is getting every guy possible from Pittsburgh and Northeast Ohio. And pretty much that's going to be his whole roster. Yeah. Um, These transfers are good. These transfers are like straight up really good. Yeah, I mean, he brought in a pit receiver, Shockey Jock Lewis, who's a four-star guy from South Florida. Um, he brought in West Virginia tight end TJ Banks, who uh, had one of what I would I would call the single greatest like uh, recruiting camp performances I've ever seen in my life. I watched him work out for a one-day camp at Pitt when he was in high school as like a sophomore, and we just showed up as a sophomore at like six five two thirty, uh, just catching everything and yeah. looked so smooth. Unfortunately, has not developed at all since then, and maybe has gotten worse. Uh, but you know, nonetheless, I, I a guy who had ten career. Go ahead. He's also, I think, a pretty much perfect fit for the the Moorhead tight end position, just in general, yes. because he really, really likes those just freaky big guys, right? Like some of the best stuff that they did at Oregon was with um, was his name DJ Johnson, who was a defensive lineman, yes. right? Because they don't really have to run routes so much as they just have to block and then fake blocks and catch those little shovels. And I think TJ Banks can absolutely do that. Like I think he's a great athlete. Yeah, no, big time. He is a really, really special athlete. And if he puts it all together, I mean, that that is a guy who could like have one of those weird breakout senior seasons. You just don't see coming. Sure. Uh, except we see it coming because we see everything. We are the all-seeing eye That's right. of football. Uh, he also brought in uh, Curtis Harper, who was a former kid from McKeesport, really good defensive tackle in high school, uh, played well at Syracuse, I thought, in limited uh, opportunities. And Tim Terry, who was another Central Catholic kid uh, who played at Buffalo. Yeah, he's a starter um, Just Buffalo. bringing it. Yeah, bringing in like four or five guys who were just former 
uh, former Pittsburgh dudes who are now, I guess, joining the fold at Akron and I'm sure has more on the way from what I saw. He offered like every kid in the Whippeal with a pulse <laughs> this past season and uh, this, this like since he got there. So we're going to see a lot of guys in Pittsburgh signed to play with Joe Moorhead, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, the other transfers in here, um, Alex Adams from LSU, wide receiver. Uh, Max Baines from Houston is an offensive tackle. Um, and then Devon Robinson, uh, defensive tackle from Memphis. Cameron Threat from uh, from Mississippi State's cornerback. And then Kerry Martin, who was a, a really good safety at West Virginia and then had sort of a falling out with the, uh, the coaching staff. He was actually the guy who had... Um, I think he was the one who got Vic Caning fired because Vic Caning was being racist. I don't know if you remember this, but um, no. it was Kerry Martin who who filed the. I think it was Vic Caning. I, I don't want to get the name wrong, but it was Kerry Martin who filed the the complaint essentially and was was talking about it and basically got blackballed from the two deep because if it didn't play in 2020 and then barely played in 2021. But he was awesome in 2019. He was like an all Big 12 freshman of the year kind of guy. Um, but these these other guys who I rattle off are all guys who he targeted at Mississippi State, right? Like uh, Alex Adams was somebody who was from Mississippi. He would have been recruiting him out of high school. Um, Robinson was, I think he actually was going to Mississippi State and then uh, didn't qualify academically, ended up at Memphis, ended up at a JUCO and then Memphis. Uh, Threat was obviously at Mississippi State. Martin is kind of the the lone guy who doesn't fit into either the Pittsburgh or um, you know Mississippi State thing, but he's from Charleston, West Virginia, so it's not like he's super far away. Uh, and, and so it's interesting because I, I think that Moorhead has gone out and grabbed a bunch of talent here, a bunch of raw talent, not a ton of like proven guys outside of Tim Terry, but talent that he can that he can work with that also has sort of a distinct identity that fits with him, right? He's not really just grabbing pieces, grabbing P5 castaways like what UCF is doing. He's grabbing players who either fit his system and, and fit the area or who know him personally. And I, I think that, I think I like that a lot better than the just, you know, smash and grab kind of thing that, that UCF is doing with the transfer portal. Yeah. Yeah. I, I tend to agree with that. I mean, I think there is a difference of course at recruiting transfers at a place like UCF and, and recruiting transfers at a place like Akron. Right. Yeah, <laughs> I sure. think like the, uh, the level of talent you're working with as a baseline and what you can get out of high school is a lot different um, and even if you develop these guys at Akron, I think it's just your expectation for what you should produce is uh, not going to be as high as what as what UCF is, of course. And um, it makes sense to me, especially as a first year coach. Like I think I think that's when transfers are a lot more um, acceptable in my mind. And I think yeah. taking like a, a P5 cast off or uh, in this case, like another G5 starter is like a pretty, pretty big win, in fact, whereas at UCF, it's kind of like, OK, well, it seems like moving backwards, right? It seems like you're yeah. taking guys who we know can't play at this P5 level and you function as a quasi P5 team if you meet expectations. So uh, you shouldn't be taking guys who couldn't hack it already. But yeah, anyway, um, Western Michigan, or sorry. Uh, yeah, any more thoughts on Akron before we move on to our next team here? Um, yeah, I, I think actually on the field, they're probably going to be okay. They might contend for a bowl game. Um, finding some receivers is going to be important outside of Jacques Lewis because uh, Konata Mumfield has gone to Pitt. Michael Matheson is off to Western Kentucky, I want to say. Um, yeah, just Jacques, by the way. No, no plural. Okay. Shout out yeah. to all my Haitians. Yeah. Shout out to all my Haitians. <laughs> That's right. Um, but I, I think he's going to be pretty good. I think that he is ready to step into a, a wide receiver one role. He was pretty good at Pitt. Like, and that's, you know, you saw playing time on that pit offense, which I think is pretty impressive for a wide receiver. Um, DJ Irons, how he fits into the offense, I think is going to be interesting at quarterback. I like him. I think he's pretty good. I think that he's tremendously raw, but, you know, good athlete, showed off some some pretty good throws across last season, ended up kind of beating out Zach Gibson for the job, which is why Zach Gibson transferred. Um, and so I think that the offense 
the ceiling is honestly kind of high this year. I don't the the floor is obviously Akron. You know they they <laughs> they haven't been very good recently, but I think that the offense could be pretty good and could lift them out of that territory and up into you know nearing bowl eligibility. And if the defensive transfers are good, especially good from the jump, uh, there's enough talent here on defense. Passing defense was actually pretty good last year that. Um, being one of the better teams in the East doesn't feel out of out of reach, which is just crazy for year one. Um, I, I think that, you know, ultimately I think that Tom Marth probably did a better job than a lot of people gave him credit for in building out this foundation, and I think that Moorhead's going to benefit from that. But also, I don't think Arth would have done with this roster what Moorhead could could certainly do. And so I'm I'm just excited. I'm excited about what Akron could be and, uh, and the direction that it's headed because it feels like for the first time, uh, honestly, maybe ever that they have had a, a coach who has a a future and a direction that he wants to take the program in, and he wants to be at Akron seemingly for the long term. So I'm 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 very happy for for Akron and for Moorhead for finding a fit that seems pretty natural. It's all here for Akron. Um, <laughs> uh, moving on to Western Michigan here, uh, your boy, your boy Caleb Ellaby, the guy you assisted yeah. was what like the number one quarterback in the whole country. I think was your phrase. Mm-hmm. Um, that was your that was your take. Um, tell me a bit about uh, what happened here and uh, what the problem is with the Western Michigan offense. Yeah, so I I stand by Caleb Ellaby being good. I think he is good. I think that that he will prove himself to be good if he lands in the right situation in the NFL. Uh, the issue here was it's it twofold. One. Tim Lester really likes to run RPOs. He has he has sort of become obsessed with RPOs and pretty much only ran RPOs last season. And two, I think he did that in part because the offensive line was disastrously bad in pass protection. And that just doesn't, it doesn't fit at all for what Caleb Ellaby does. Uh, he's a big-armed quarterback and you're wasting him on, you know, glance routes. And, and Sky Moore is a an extremely valuable deep threat and they were wasting him on glance routes. And so I, I think that... I, I, as much another as, Pittsburgh legend, by the way, yeah, I just that, started to pop we, in there. But another, another Pittsburgh legend, Sky Moore, as we've covered. Wasn't yeah. isn't Johannes Tyler as well? Who is it? Johannes Tyler. Johannes Tyler. I'm not familiar with the name. I do believe Jack Salopak is either an Akron King or a Pittsburgh King as well. Um, I think he's played at Norway in Pittsburgh, if I recall correctly. There are a lot uh, of, of this. The, uh, yeah, he he did. He played at uh he played at Norway. Yeah. Um, yeah, Johannes Tyler uh, is he's from New Orleans. Oh, uh, okay, I don't know where. I'd say I got it's that a from. sister city of Pittsburgh. Yeah, but, you know, sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah, also, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the Southern Pittsburgh. <laughs> uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> um, yeah, but there's a there's there's a lot of there's a lot of Pittsburgh guys out here. I think we're gonna keep running into those. But yeah, I, I think that's the big issue. And I'll keep mentioning the, them. Yep. <laughs> the, the, the offense did not fit what Caleb Ellaby can do. It fit better in 2020 when they had a better offensive line, and and so. He just sort of wasn't able to, to be what I think he probably should have been and what he will be in an offense that is a little bit better suited for him because he has a lot of he has a lot of arm talent. I think in general he's a good player. They just they didn't use him in the way that they probably should have, which is why they weren't as good as they probably could have been last season. Right, right. Um, so I mean, you know, with all these like some of these major pieces departing for an offense that already should have been better than it was you know, what is Tim Lester's like outlook long-term? Do you have any reason for optimism for him? <laughs> it's not great. They, they did just give him an extension, but they gave him the classic two year extension. So he's sticking around through 2025, um, which is not, uh, we call that the recruiting extension. Yeah, by not, the way. not exactly a rousing endorsement, kind of difficult to, uh, to go out and recruit as a lame duck coach. And <laughs> that's sort of, sort of the thinking behind that. And it's not necessarily that like, 
you know, they, they didn't increase the buyout or anything. The buyout is the exact same. And they, they, they did add a, it's a, um, a rolling extension every time he wins at least eight games, which I think is a fine idea. Cause if he wins eight games, you're probably not going to fire him. Um, but it, it doesn't, it doesn't look great. I don't think the doors are falling off, but I do think we've kind of seen maybe what the best case scenario was. And he like with ball state, he blew it, right. He, he did not, build a good enough offense around LB and so they they only won eight games when they probably could have won 11 uh with a with an offense that was better suited to its talent and so I, I think that it seems like we've kind of seen the ceiling here and it's about eight and five and he's not likely to reach that in the next two years so I, I do think that we're probably seeing him out the door maybe after 2023 that would be my my guess yeah I mean I think that seems valid and I just I, I mean like between that and like the way the defense outlook looks this year uh, again we've been pretty grim here on these on all of our bottom five teams besides Akron but I, I just don't really see like what the future is for Western Michigan like the current regime um, you know we've seen they do have capability of winning at this program obviously the, what they did under the Fleck regime was pretty incredible um, it's just probably not going to happen or Tim Lester and yeah um, yeah, speaking of other shitty coaches that you hate, uh, tell me a bit about Bowling about Scott Leffler's Bowling Green, our, our lowest uh, team in Tier 3. I, I will. One second. I, I have to just tell you real quick because I think you'll enjoy this. Um, they brought in an air raid offensive coordinator, air raid adjacent, at Western Michigan and hmm. Jeff Thorne, and they went out and they, they got a transfer from Alabama. They got Stone Hollenbach. Do you know where Stone Hollenbach played his high school ball? Stone Hollenbach? Yeah. Um, no, it sounds like he's from fucking... Europe or something. He played at Southern Columbia, which famously does not pass the ball. <laughs> yeah, wait. They, they, <laughs> you are, you are, you they are, recruited. They recruited the triple option quarterback. Yes, they signed the walk on the Alabama walk on triple option quarterback who played with uh, Julian Fleming. Awesome. Yeah, people who for people who don't know about Southern Columbia, it's like maybe <laughs> it's in the conversation for like the most dominant high school football program in America. Yeah, it's very small school Central Pennsylvania football. I think they play at maybe the two A level out of six PA, but I I could be wrong about that. Um, just a team that wins a million games every season. Uh, you know what I mean? And, and uh, fuck, <laughs> Jesus, yeah, they, they run like I a, don't know. They run like a flying T. They they run like a nineteen forties offense. Very bizarre stuff. Yeah. That is grim. Yeah. So they're um, they're bringing in the option quarterback to compete with Jack Salopic or uh, Salopek for uh, to to play in the fucking air raid offense with their best receiver leaving. It's not great. It's it's not great. Anyway, uh, Bowling Green and Scott Leffler. I your number one enemy. Maybe the man on this entire fucking planet. You have a bloodthirst for more than any other. Yeah. Uh, Besides, of course, Jim Harbaugh on the Michigan program, we uh-huh. know you're a huge Buckeye. Yeah. But besides them, tell me a bit about more about Bowling Green and and um, you know what it is that makes you such a huge Toledo fan and hater of Bowling Green. So there's so much about this team that I really like. There's so much about this roster, about this this team, about their process that I really really like. They're losing two starters. Devin Taylor is gone, the cornerback, and then their kicker. Everybody else is back. And they, they have been very openly and obviously building to their their identity that they're going to try and have this season. They want to run the ball. They want to be a good power offense, push teams around. And then they want to you know keep Matt McDonald out of, out of obvious passing downs, keep ahead of the chains, and let him work in short-yarded scenarios as the quarterback uh, with a, a receiver room that isn't terribly explosive but can be trusted for slants and, and quick plays. Uh, and then they want, to, they, have, they want to have one of the better defenses in the league. And... I like all of that. I like the ideas. I, I think that going away from what 
you know, the rest of the league is doing is a good idea. I think that this is the team they've been building to. Like I said, they bring back like 21 starters. Team is extremely experienced. Line has all seniors. It, it's everything looks really good here, except for the fact that Scott Leffler is the head coach. And Scott Leffler is, is a bad, he's a bad football coach. He's a bad play caller. He's a bad football coach mm-hmm. when he isn't coaching. Bad guy, personally, yeah, too. bad guy. When he isn't coaching, Bowling Green has done better. Like, objectively, when he got ejected from a game last season, Bowling Green got better. And, and it's just, so that's the question for me, is just how good can returning 21, you know, starters and, and being on a direct path to an identity, how much can that overcome the fact that its coach is terrible? <laughs> you know, like they, they had 71 first or second year players, uh, you know, last, uh, last season, right. They had 11 of them starting by the final game of the year. They had five seniors in the starting lineup. They've, they've been trying so hard to get this experience and to be building towards something and everything about it is good except for the person actually running it. And so that, the, that's the big question that I have here is just how good can these guys be in spite of their coach? And it's, it's, it's kind of an open question because I, they haven't been especially good in spite of him yet. And I, I need to see, you know, I need to see them actually win some games before I can believe him do, before I can believe that he can do this. Yeah, and I mean, especially too, like something we want to get on here is that Scott Leffler is like the whole reason he got this job is pretty much like the rushing attacks he built yeah. uh, in like the early 2010s. Uh, you know, I think, you know, having um, AJ Dillon at Boston College is probably his most famous result and the reason why he landed this job directly. Sure. But you know, even though he wasn't the running backs coach, just the OC. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> uh, despite all that, like if this rushing attack is supposed to be what he's known for. And it's the focal point. Uh, why does it suck so bad? And and is there any relief with Matt McDonald, a quarterback? So uh, I, the, the rushing attack, I think it's primary issue is uh, the line hasn't been very good for the last couple of years. And you can be, you, I think you can be excited about, about what it could be this year because they return, I want to say every single starter and they're all at least 21 years old, right? Like this is, this is what they have been. There's a quote directly from Leffler saying that the offensive line needs to be 21 and 22 year olds. That's the formula in the Mac. Um, you have to have an old. Yeah. So do his line. girlfriends. Okay. Um, I Sorry. can't, I can't, I can't, <laughs> I can't confirm that, but he, he, he basically, he told a group of boosters last off season, like, wait for us to get older, wait for us to get older. Once we can run, that it'll open up the pass. And that's the question here is, is that offensive line being so experienced going to actually open up the pass? Is it going to make things easier on a stable of running backs who uh, they look okay, right? Like Nick Mosley, Jason Patterson, and Terry on Stewart, not a bad group. They were just young last year, but all had at least 65 carries. None of them were outright bad. Line should get better. Um, and, and so I think that there is, I think that there is a path forward there if we're assuming linear growth. And I think that Matt McDonald is the kind of quarterback who can do that. You know, I think he's a capable game manager. I think that he's somebody who can be good, uh, you know, maybe, maybe on the border of good. And if he has a good rushing attack, then that's, that's more than enough, but it's just, <laughs> the line needs to be better because Christian Sims is good at, line, at tight end. You know, running backs, like I said, I think are pretty good. It's, it is just, you know, even the design I think is pretty good. They just have to be able to actually move guys now, and they haven't done that yet in the Leffler era. And so we're we're left, you know, <laughs> sort of just hoping that they can do something they haven't done before and, and get like the NCAA 14 style plus seven overall to all of the players where they just get better. And I, I don't know if they're going to, but... A classic Scott Leffler development yeah. boost we all know and love. <laughs> yeah, and so if, if you're looking for 
optimism here. It's just that you have to assume that players being older makes them better. And generally, yes, but with Leffler, it's not a guarantee. So if basically we're, we're left to be pretty grim on, uh, you know, on the offense on the offense here, then what are you thinking of this defense? And just, I guess, kind of give me your overall thoughts on the, on the outlook for Bowling Green this season. Yeah. So we've, we've got an all Mac defender at all three levels. Um, Darren Andrews at linebacker, Jordan Anderson at safety and Carl Brooks on the line. Uh, Carl Brooks is really fucking good. Carl Brooks is, is one of my favorite defensive ends in the, uh, in the Mac, which is a cool thing to have as a as a, a grown adult man, as a favorite defensive end in the Mac, uh, in February of 2022, <laughs> we love that. We love to uh-huh, have opinions uh-huh. about Mac defensive ends, but um, and not even that's as a so draft cool. guy, just as a guy who likes to watch the Mac. <laughs> just that's the thing about us people. People refuse to acknowledge this, but we're gonna watch more ball than you. Yeah, you we're... you might think you watch ball. Listen, we're gonna watch more ball than you. The only yeah. guy who can who can lay claim to watching balls often as we do, we'll allow Colton Denning, our friend mm-hmm. and, and and dear brother, yeah, my man to say that because that guy, that guy is torturing himself to levels previously unimaginable this yeah. off season. <laughs> um, <laughs> but. Yeah. You don't watch ball like us. No, anyway, Patrick, keep going. I'm, yeah. I'm just I'm stealing valor for you watching these knockdowns. Sure. Keep going anyway. Nothing wrong with that. But yeah, I, I think that the defense, if it can fill out the other, you know, eight spots around those three guys, then then it's it's going to be really really good. I think the defense could be legitimately one of the best in the MAC. Um, Devon Ferguson is coming back at cornerback after he had an early season injury. He's very good. Um, I think either Jalen Burton or Trent Sims at corner opposite him can be can be really good. Um, you know, safeties are back. Cy Dabney is back as well at safety. He's not as good as, as Anderson, but he's he's fine. Um, getting some linebackers outside of Anders is going to be important. I, I don't know if there's a ton of guys there who I have a ton of excitement about. Brock Horn is okay. He's sort of the the default middle linebacker in the MAC. You know, he's like 6'1", 220. Doesn't do a whole lot else outside of just tackles at four yards. Um, I think more five defensive back sets would be a positive in general because Blaine Spires is not good at linebacker. Uh, but it's the star power here is good. And I think that the, the, you know, everything else here is just good enough that I'm, that I'm interested in it. And especially in a league where there's not a ton of dominant defenses, right? There's, there's not really, I don't think there's really a ton of defenses to have a whole lot of optimism about outside of like Toledo's and, you know, maybe, maybe Northern Illinois, which wasn't very good last year anyway, or Central Michigan's. And so I, I think that that's the, the thing to have optimism about here is the potential for linear growth offensively and defensively. The fact that there's no reason to think that these guys won't be good. Like they should be, they should be good. And so I, I think that that's I think that that's what I'm really looking at here, and it, it really does just come back to Leffler. It comes back to the fact that this guy's a born loser, and if as he, it all does, yeah, as if, it all does. If he can get out of the way, then this is a this is one of the best teams in the East, and and can challenge Kent State, and is built in a way that can seriously seriously challenge Kent State. Like Kent State's defense against this offense, if it can run the ball, is not good. That's not good for Kent State, and this defense is good enough to hang with their wide receivers, but. Just I need to see it from Leffler, and so I'm I'm excited about this group, but I'm only excited tentatively because of the coach, which is not not. I think probably one of the worst things you could say about a coach is that you are worried about his team exclusively because of him. Everything else here is great except for Scott <laughs> Leffler. 
<laughs> well, to transition from what I am now dubbing as uh, the MAC conferences, or rather, that's redundant, fuck, uh, you know, the middle American conferences, most blue-collar, working-class, uh, you know, uh, rough behind the edges, whatever fucking team, Bowling Green, yeah. to its most uh, coastal elite finance bro, Patagonia <laughs> uh, team in, in the entire conference. Tell me a bit about Miami and what you're expecting here from from your favorite guys. Yeah, so this is sort of like... Um... <laughs> this is sort of sort of a weird team because so much of their shit last year was havoc based. Like their defense was fantastic at creating big plays, tackles behind the line of scrimmage. They had like fifty uh just from the defensive front. <laughs> like they were generating yeah, they had let's see here, one, two, three they had four defensive ends who combined for forty eight and a half tackle for loss and twenty five sacks. Um, which is nuts. That's an insane number for four defensive ends. That's good. That's very good. <laughs> and I'll, I'll tell you, all four of those guys are gone. Cameron Butler, Ben Kempler, Lonnie Phelps, and Dominique Robinson are all gone. That's insane to lose all of that production in one offseason. And, you know, the entire, every starting safety is gone. <laughs> and, you know, you're just, it's, it's hard to imagine what the defense looks like without that havoc. But, the the other side of the coin here is is that one Chuck Martin only ever goes seven and five he doesn't do anything else and I don't know I don't know how they possibly dip below seven and five because that's what he always does and two Brett Gabbert might be the the best quarterback in the league I, I think it's I think it's pretty close between him and I like, think Chuck Martin's just like a more surly looking Frank Solich yeah. Yeah, he's he's, he's like, like a, a Frank Solich. It's probably more likely to kick your ass. I th- I think he's a less creative Frank Solich. Essentially, <laughs> I think that he's yeah. He's, but they get, I think get the same results anyway. Yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> Sol- Solich, more is, Solich was like a little bit more able to break out of seven and five, right? Like he had some nine and three teams. I don't think Martin is able to produce that. Yeah, but but, but Chuck Martin has a conference championship, which as you sure, as yeah. you have acknowledged, and I am luring you on this. You know, you are conference title pilled, and yeah. you do have to. I, I believe he did also go seven and seven in the season that he did that, which is the ultimate. That's for cool. championship. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just, you just won the ones that you needed to win. But that's why uh, he's our favorite coach. Yeah. 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 But like that's sort of the that's the selling point here is that Brett Gabbard is awesome and receiving, you know, the the, the passing game should still be pretty good even without Jack Sorensen. I think Mac Hippenhammer is back and I, I, I believe Jalen Walker is as well in the slot. Um so then hit me with your running back thoughts and your final thoughts on here on this team. Um yeah, I, I so I think that the I think that the offense is still going to be pretty good. Kevin Davis is okay at running back. Um, defense is going to be entirely brand new. They got a couple young guys in, you know, in the fold near the end of the season, which is nice. But um, I, I would guess that this is sort of a shootout team, and they they go about six and six because of how good Brett Gabbard is. But outside of that, the the ceiling and the floor are about the same here. It's 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 you know, the the <laughs> the the room is closing in on Chuck Martin, and he's perfectly comfortable. He's sipping a big martini. He's like, yep, I'm 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 very happy here at six and six. My ceiling and floor. Yeah, so I mean, I guess if if we're talking about teams that are just volatile and are gonna, you know, fucking, I guess maybe have the most some of the most insane results in the game. Let's get into tier two in Eastern Michigan. Yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> the oh. team that loves volatility more than anyone else in America, the the Ole Miss of the MAC. Yes. Uh, tell me a bit about what your thoughts on uh, Taylor Powell are and what he can do um, to keep this offense 
uh, afloat essentially with some key departures. Yeah, so Taylor Powell looks like he's going to be the quarterback after the departures of Ben Bryant to Cincinnati. Ben Bryant kind of went on loan to Eastern Michigan for for a year and then went back to Cincinnati after Desmond Ritter departed, which, I mean, I guess good for him. Very cool. Um, Preston Hutchinson, I think, kind of fumbled the bag here because he transferred to UT Chattanooga. He was the starter in 2020. Um, and then transferred before Bryant did. He would have been the starter had he stuck around, but in like early December, he got out of here, and now he's playing in the FCS instead of starting at Eastern Michigan. Um, so they turned here to uh, Troy transfer Taylor Powell. He was at Missouri originally, didn't do much there. He was fine at Troy. I, I think that he did about the best that you could expect somebody who played under Chip Lindsey to do at quarterback. I think he's okay. Um but the really, he just has to be okay. He just has to be okay because everything else about this offense is fantastic. Um, I, I love, I love Mike Piakowski, the offensive coordinator, passing game coordinator. I love the receivers in general. Hassan Beydoun is back, uh, ninety-seven receptions out of the slot in twenty twenty-one. So he's he's this league's version of that guy. I'm actually kind of surprised he's coming back. Um, he famously, I don't know if you saw this, but when Charlie Batch was posting about how he wanted to give a million dollars to Caleb Williams, Hassan Baitoon quote tweeted it, and he was like, what does a guy on the team have to do to get that money? <laughs> like, why, do I, why, why does it just have to be somebody who would never come here? Like, I, I'm, I'm pulling in 100 catches a year. Um, he's fantastic. Pretty funny. Yeah. Tanner, Honestly, tough look for him, but very funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tanner Canoe is back on the outside. Uh, Dylan Drummond is as well, Zach Westmoreland. So they, they've got... They've got all of their receivers back. Um, Darius Boone Jr. and Samson Evans are both back at running back. Uh, Jawan Hamilton's gone, but I don't think it's going to be hugely devastating. Uh, offensive line brings back four starters. Like I think this offense is going to be fucking awesome, even if pa- if Powell is just okay. Uh, it's been awesome for a couple years now. I, I think it's probably going to be one of the best in the league if Powell is even kind of close to what Ben Bryant was, which was just a, a you know, a good game manager with ability to throw down the field because Baydoun is good down the field. So I, I think that I, I I have no reason to think that this offense is going to be anything out other than outstanding. Well, then I guess the obvious question there, Patrick, is like, what is the ceiling for the team if the offense is as outstanding as you think it is, but the defense just continues to suck? And I guess, yeah. is there any hope the defense won't suck? Yeah, so the defense was not good last year and also loses some of its best players, <laughs> which is... Which is not terribly encouraging. Uh, Teron Rush has gone from the defensive end. He never really became what I was hoping he would be, but he was still he was still good. Uh, Wu Scott Senior has gone at defensive tackle. Um, there's some hope there because despite being the the space filler at tackle, they have another one, which is very weird for a MAC team. Wu Scott was 330 pounds. Jordan Crawford is back. He's 348. Like these are very rare bodies at the MAC level. Um, Let's go. They played both of them last year, which was bad. It was a, it was a deeply bad idea. Uh, they couldn't stop the run at all. So maybe only having one of those would be a, a step in the right direction this year. Um, but the the you know the defense just wasn't very good, and so I think that that's the cold water is that they they don't have a whole lot going on on defense. Uh, Terry Myrick is gone at, at will linebacker. Tariq Spites is back at least. He's five ten, two hundred and thirty seven pounds as a middle linebacker, which we love. That's you know. <laughs> always a good brand of guy secondary sucks secondary is not going to be good and so you're sort of just looking at you you know can they can this offense win exclusively on shootouts and can the defense maybe get a stop or two a game and, and would that be enough and and i think that it's certainly enough to probably get eight or nine wins but i don't know if it's enough to actually contend seriously unless some young players really take steps forward on defense 
Uh, speaking of teams that can't contend, uh, <laughs> let's talk about Toledo yeah. uh, and Jason Candle. The um, maybe number one, if Scott Lawler is number one, Jason Candle is a, I think, number two with a bullet, right? Yeah. Uh, in terms of guys you think suck and you hate. Yeah, um, he's he's up there. Chip Lindsay as well. Like outside of the league, I don't like Chip Lindsay, but they're all the same guy. Like I I really just don't like coaches who actively harm their own teams. I don't think it's too much to ask that a coach just stays out of the way as of his own roster. It, it shouldn't be. It really shouldn't be. But yeah. uh, he hasn't done it. No. <laughs> so that uh, I mean, what are, what are your expectations broadly for this team this season? And, and kind of uh, how much can we get Jason Cano out of the way here for Toledo? Yeah, so uh, the expectations in any other circumstance with any other coach would be extremely high. This was the best offense and the best defense in the country, uh, or not in the country, in the MAC last year. Um, like pretty easy. I think it was top thirty in points per game in both sides of the ball, which is crazy in this league. You just don't see that here. Um, and so the expectations should be extremely high. This should be the defending champion. This should be the easy favorite in the West. This should be you know, the the best team in the league. They have the most talent. They have a bunch of really good transfers coming in. Daquan Finn is really, really fun at quarterback. Extremely fun. And it's just that Jason Candle's here. And we were so close to not having Jason Candle here. He almost took that Miami offensive coordinator job. If he did, I think Vince Cares... So bizarre, by the way. Yeah, I, if he did, I think Vince Cares would have become the head coach and this team would have won the MAC. If, if Vince Cares was the head coach, I would absolutely pick these guys to win the MAC. Everything here is good except for the coach, and it's just that throws a that 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 throws a wrench into everything that they're doing because his offensive scheme is dog shit. He can't win close games. He's just not good. He's just not a good football coach, and so we're just stuck with a really fun backfield: Daquan Finn and Penny Boone, um, good receivers, great defense, and a coach who I I pretty confident in saying can't get it done like with Leffler we haven't seen him with a team this talented yet so we can't say it definitively with Toledo we have seen this exact thing before we have seen Jason Candle with a Mac title caliber roster right last year's was that this year's is this year's is absolutely that they were 56th in SP plus which was easily best in the Mac and they're gonna go like seven and six they're, they're gonna go eight and five they're going to lose the bowl game to a bad CUSA team, and Jason Candle's going to go another year without getting fired. And it's just, it sucks. This this roster deserves much better than him. There's a better coach on the staff who has won national championships in Vince Cares. He should be the head coach. Jason Candle should just go somewhere else because he, he stinks. He's not a good football coach. He does think. He does think. Um, well, I guess what is the upside of this team? I know I was there in tier two for a reason. Yeah. You know, a, a kind of a broad sense. What are your expectations for the team, and, and what can we expect here uh, from from Toledo? Yeah. So the the upside is just the talent. It's it's how how you know how much better they are in terms of like sheer on paper roster than than pretty much everybody else in the league. Um, most of the team returns. Daquan Finn, like I said, is a really good dual threat quarterback. I think he's going to be one of the better players in the MAC offensively. He can he can make a lot happen. Really found his found his stride last season. And once they went to him, they actually started winning games. They they <laughs> didn't start the season with him. I think they started with Carter Bradley, and then they turned to uh, to Daquan Finn, who was much better. Running game should be good with Penny Boone from from Maryland. They actually brought in um, guy who wasn't very good at Ohio State, but guy who is a Toledo player and I think fits well in the Mac and Dallas Gantt. Um, I like how he fits into this defense. I, I think that he is 
not an especially well balanced linebacker, but if you use him as sort of a pass rusher, I think he's capable of that, and that's that's my expectation. And you, you do have to wonder too if like the upgrade in the strength and conditioning program will be helpful for him. <laughs> yeah, of course, yeah. Um, and so I I think that you know that's the upside is that they're super talented and they should be really good it's it's just that they you know i i i called jason candle in my preview the lebron james of eating shit like this he's the best at it no one has ever done it better than him (laughs) well we love that um uh here's a coach i i think is kind of overrated i am not very fond of I think not fond of. I don't think Sean Lewis uh, basically has the juice people think he does mm-hmm. uh, at Kent State. Tell me a bit about his program and what you think, to, what you expect out of him this season. So I kind of, I, I was with you on Sean Lewis entering last season. I, I thought I would, I'm a little higher on him last year than you were, uh, just because he's a G5 coach and I, I ride for my boys. But um, sure, I wasn't super high on him. I kind of thought that the offense wasn't super sustainable. And then in 2021, Dustin Crum didn't get any better, and they had the number three rushing attack in the country. And so I'm, yeah. I'm a little bit, <laughs> I'm a little bit higher on Sean Lewis now because I just saw him do it essentially without his his quarterback on the level that we expected him to be. I don't know why Dustin Crum took such a strong step back, but um, the the offense that was so strongly built around having this insanely efficient passing a game uh, immediately became awesome at running the ball, like averaging like eight yards a carry kind of thing where they're, they're running basically the same plays with those really long drawn out reads uh, the, the really extended mesh points, but the, the line blocked it perfectly, really consistently. They built out a, a stable of running backs who could run in that style, you know, patiently and, and have really good vision. And I think that, my appreciation of Lewis and his understanding of that offense has it increased after seeing what they did with with lesser quarterback play from Crum. I think that he has a much better understanding of what they're doing and and of of what I, I think Andrew Souter, the offensive coordinator, has a much better understanding of what they're doing than we thought last season. And that's really what I want to see from a lot of these offenses. We talked last week about Mickey Mouse offenses. I just want to see somebody understand what they're doing, right? I, I don't want to just you know oh we we call the RPOs. I want to see a deeper understanding of what you're doing and how to adjust it if what you are doing originally doesn't work. And I saw that from Kent State. And so I I have, you know, I have high hopes for what they can do this season. The defense still stinks and is just going to, I think. I, I don't know I don't know what the deal is there. They brought in a new coordinator. Maybe that'll help, but um, I... Way to spend a lot, by the way. Just the absolute... Yes. His name is uh, <laughs> Jeremiah Johnson. You may not expect that, but... Uh, the just the whitest guy in the world, yeah. absolute fucking hayseed from Northern Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was the DC. He was the DC at Northern Iowa. I'm curious to see how that transitions into the MAC because um, <laughs> the FCS, the top of the FCS, which is where Northern Iowa is, and the MAC are running very different offenses, right? Like the you know, not a lot of North Dakota states out here. Kent State, maybe <laughs> maybe it is ready for Bowling Green <laughs> in that case. But I like Jeremiah Johnson decent enough. I think he could be okay. Um, but I, I really, I was impressed with what I saw from the offense. So I, I'm, I'm still, I'm still pretty optimistic in general about the Sean Lewis era, especially in another year where the East is without a, another obvious contender, Miami taking a step back and then pretty much, pretty much everybody else is either in a rebuild, approaching a rebuild or in the first year of a new head coach in the case of like Akron. Um, so I, I think Kent State's in a good spot still, even without, without much of a defense. Yeah, I mean, uh, should we be at all concerned that Northern Iowa's defense like sucked under this guy? Yeah. Like they weren't good. <laughs> it wasn't great, especially <laughs> last year, which is a little troubling. 
Um, I do think that the competition is enough to kind of explain that. Like they weren't, they weren't bad. They were top twenty for the large part. It's just that they they didn't do much against the best teams that they played. I think that the parity in the MAC is is less or is is um is greater rather than it is at the you know at the S if the FCS. Yeah, but that doesn't help him. He has like had one of the most talented teams in the FCS, right? I like, don't, I don't know. If I, I don't know if I would say that. I think that they had probably about the fifteenth most talented team in the FCS and they produced about the fifteenth best defense. Um, uh, okay, it was just fair that they, enough. they struggled against the North Dakota States of the world and I, I think that the the best of the FCS the difference between the best of the FCS and like Northern Iowa is larger than the difference between, you know, Toledo and Kent State or the best teams in, in the Mac in talent perspective in, in Kent State. I think that I think that he can make up for the differences in talent better here than he did there. I just don't know. I don't think it's going to happen this year. Like there's, there's, it's an entirely new linebacker room. Um, defensive line wasn't terribly <laughs> impressive last season. Dean Clark is okay at safety. He's a nice thing to build, to build around. Um, <clears throat> you know, Nico Bolden next to him is okay. CJ West was pretty good at nose tackle. Um, Aiden Huntington or was, was fine at end, but I don't think the defense is going to be terribly good this year. I don't know if that's a Jeremiah Johnson thing as much as it is a talent thing, but that I still don't think that's going to stop them from winning the East. I think essentially, I think it's probably another eight and four, nine and three ish season and another East title unless you know, like, like Akron is really good right away. And that, that seems to be the only team here that makes a whole lot of sense to me about making that jump. Like I don't see Miami doing it. I don't really see much of anything here doing it outside of Kent state. So I think that they're probably content just having an awesome rushing attack. You know, Marquez Cooper, Xavier Williams, Brian Bradford, all back at running back, having really good receivers, Dante C. Fitzgerald, Sean Pope. Um, and having, if it's just competent quarterback play from Colin Schley, then, then I, I think they're going to be really good again. And that they will win the East pretty easily because there's just not a whole lot of competition there otherwise. Uh, do you have any final thoughts on Kent State you want to get here before we dive into our top tier? Um, not really. I am interested to see what the quarterback position looks like. Like I said, I think it's going to be Colin Schley. He's, he's, he was the starter or he was the backup the last two years, played 11 games, completed 23 of 36 passes for 300 yards and three touchdowns, which is just a funny line. Um, I think he's going to be about what Dustin Crum was last season. And Dustin Crum, of course, I think won Mac player of the year. So I don't think he deserved it, but he, you know, yeah, three thousand. One yards. of those crimes. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah, three three thousand yards. You know, sixty five percent completion percentage. Um, decent as a runner, I, I think is realistic to expect. And if he can do that, then the offense is going to be just really good again. I do want to say I think we need to develop. Uh, shout out to our once again our friends from the Bucket Problem who have been pioneering the hashtag He's Just Big movement yes. in uh, college basketball. Uh-huh. I think we need to start pioneering a movement for like offensive head coaches when it's hashtag He's Just Young. Yeah. Uh, when people <laughs> like to call these guys innovative, I, I think I'm getting a little tired of this, and uh, I just want to leave on a note that again, I know Sean Lewis is probably better than some of the other ones, but uh, we need to stop calling every guy who's under the age of like 50 who's an offensive head coach. Uh, and doesn't have like completely, yeah. you know, white to gray hair, uh, innovative or uh-huh. aggressive or whatever. A lot of them are just young. Hashtag yeah. they're just young. Yeah, they're just young. Um, also, we need to use that when we're talking <laughs> about some other people. I'll leave my jokes at that. I think we. I think you guys all understand what I'm going for. Uh-huh. Uh, we're talking about going Prince Andrew mode, yeah. uh, which some of the public figures we are not fond of do. Sure. Um, Okay, so as getting into Central Michigan this year, um, this team was red hot at finish season, Patrick. Won seven of the last eight in 2021. 
uh, made a real run at, at the MAC championship, but could not ultimately get there. Um, they do lose Khalil Pimpleton, yeah. who is one of the most electric players in all of G5 football. Um, you know, how do you think the offense handles that departure and, and who could we expect to see step up in his absence? So that's that's the big question here is is finding new receivers. Ja'Cory Sullivan is also gone, which is not good. Um, the guy who I really, really like is Dallas Dixon, former walk-on, had 45 receptions for 701 yards last season in an offense that wasn't like slinging the ball around, right? Like it, it, they threw a decent amount, but uh, he looked really, really good, and he's been playing with Daniel Richardson, the quarterback, for years now. They were both on the scout team a couple years ago, like 2019. Um, Richardson is now the full-time unquestioned starter after he reclaimed the job last year from Jacob Sermon, who for some reason got it at the beginning of the season, despite being bad. Um, pretty much as soon as they went to Richardson, it was like week four or week five, they won the last seven, you know, seven of the last eight. And he is he is not going to be challenged this year for that job, which is good. So I like Dallas Dixon to, to fill in for Khalil Pimpleton. I think that he can do it well. Finding guys beyond him is a little bit tougher. Um, LeVar Gums, I guess, can kind of do it. Remy Simmons is, is okay. Drayton Law is here. Um, I don't know, man. Dallas Dixon and and was it Remy? What's the last name there? Simmons. Remy Simmons. Yeah. Those sound like a little too close to porn names for me. This, this is an <laughs> offensive guys with porn names. I'm not sure how, how Dray- I feel about Drayton that. Law as well. I like. I think that that's, <laughs> got some got some strong yeah. names here. Um, so I I don't think that the passing game is really going to be the centerpiece here, right? And so I I think Dallas Dixon just being okay or, or you know being a being a, a suitable wide receiver one with decent production around him uh, is fine. Daniel Richardson safe with the ball. They don't throw a, a ton. They're going to run more than they throw. Um, and the most important thing here, the thing that is going to determine the entire offense, uh, Lou Nichols is back. Lou Nichols is back so severely that he did a story with CBS Sports about how he wasn't interested in taking the P5 offers that he was extended <laughs> in the portal. He did it like they did. Uh, he, Lou Nichols and Jim McElwain were both quoted directly in this CBS Sports story about P5 schools trying to recruit him to enter the portal and him telling them no that he was <laughs> that he was comfortable at Central Michigan. So I don't know if anybody has ever returned to a school more than Lou Nichols is returning to. Uh, He's the most returning guy of all time. Yeah, this is the most returning man of all time. <laughs> Ran for almost two thousand yards last season. Season sixteen touchdowns. Uh, did carry it three. This is actually this, this final season is just his birthright trip. Yeah, uh, that's he, what he's doing. This he year. did actually carry the ball uh, <laughs> three hundred and forty-one times, which is too much. I would say that's. I don't think Ugh. they should do that again. But Kobe Lewis is back, so they 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 won't need to. Kobe Lewis getting hurt before the twenty twenty-one season is what launched Nichols into the starting lineup to begin with, and now they have both of them. Uh, and so I, I think that they're probably going to cut some of the wildcat running stuff that they did last season out of the offense and just replace it with Kobe Lewis snaps, uh, which helps to fill in for Pimpleton as well because he was a big part of that. So I, I, I think that the centerpiece is the running attack here, and I don't see a better one in the MAC. Um, this this running game is just so good. <laughs> it's so, so good. The top end of it is so talented. If Nichols and Lewis can stay healthy, I don't know how you stop both of them throughout a, an entire game. Richardson's not a great threat on the ground. He's not much of a runner, but the line is really good. Uh, running backs are awesome, and I, I think the running the the offense is going to continue, you know, on its on its upward trajectory that it started last season because of that. Is Nichols your favorite for the MAC Player of the Year? He's got to be up there. I, I think he certainly has to be up there. I think Hassan Beydoun is going to have a decent case for it. I think that there are some 
probably some defensive players who are going to put up big numbers. But um, I, I think Nichols has to be the guy who everyone is looking at going into the season because he was the leading rusher for the entire country in, in 2021 and, and, you know, had so many carries. I would expect that he is the the favorite going into the season. Um, so now we have a kind of a, a wrap up of their offense. Give me where you're at this defense here. You know, a unit that lost six of their top eight tacklers from last year. They had th- all three starting safeties are gone. Um, do, do you expect them to be kind of consistent enough on the back end to be able to give this offense a chance to win and prevent those explosive plays to kind of hamstring this team? Yeah. So they, they lose those top tacklers, but they did something pretty interesting last year. And I, they're not the only ones who do this, but it, it does help with answering questions like that. It's that they kind of had a second shift of defenders that they would just rotate into the game. And they kind of ran with both units where when the first unit was tired, they'd just send out the second unit. Um, and, you know, they would do this positionally as well. But they bring back a, a pair of linebackers who worked together exclusively last year and saw a ton of time in Kyle Moretti and Justin Whiteside. They weren't the starters, but they're both good. I think Moretti can be a 100-tackle guy. Um, they bring back a pair of defensive tackles in, uh, I, I want to say, Jacques Bristow and Tyrese Woods Jr., who are good. So they, they're losing these top tacklers, but those guys are back. Thomas Incoum is back at defensive end. Laquan Johnson slides into a starting role. You know, the safeties are, it's it's troubling, but also, you know, you bring back a pair of starting cornerbacks in, in Dante Kent and, uh, I'm trying to remember this kid's first name, uh, let me see, I've got it, I've got it in here, I just had to find it, um, never mind, I don't have it in here, Sturkey, last name is Sturkey, he's coming back uh, as, as well, okay, as, okay. As, as is Dante Kent, who was probably the best freshman cornerback in the MAC last year, which is obviously very specific, but... Um, you know, Trey Jones played in the secondary. He can come back as a safety. Caleb Spann can play in the secondary as a safety. Uh, finding a third safety is a little bit trickier. I don't know. I don't know if they should go with three safeties this year, just because I don't think there's a third guy who I really like. Um, if Richard Bowens is back, he was the nickelback going into 2021, got hurt. If he's back, I guess that that's fine. But the defense having a second unit that it used so consistently gives me enough optimism about this group that even though they're losing so many tacklers, I'm not super worried about it. I, I think that the defense is still going to be among the better groups in the league because of how much they experience they got for those young guys, you know, last season and how many times they got to sort of work new players into the game when they were just getting rest for their, for their more experienced guys. I, I really like the way that they handled their roster last year, essentially. Are you worried also the game state team? A little bit. A little bit. Um, I, I think that they did get favorable game states at the end of the season. Um, obviously, when you run as much as they do, you need to, you know, need to have the lead. You need to not fall down too far. And so I, I do have some concerns about that. But I think my concerns about that are largely out of conference. I don't think that you're going to see a ton of teams in the conference who can game state them, right? I don't think that there are a ton of teams who can blow by these cornerback good cornerbacks right and and, you know or or beat this pass rush consistently enough to get like a 14-0 lead in the first quarter so that they do have to pass you know if they're down 14 nothing um (laughs) early in the or you know early in a non-conference game I don't know who they play in the non-conference then yeah they're probably not going to come back you know they're they're probably not going to probably not going to get it done but I think that they are good enough that it's like 7-0, 14-7. They have, you know, they have a passing game that can keep them on track, and the running game is good enough that it's not going to hurt them severely. Defense should be among the best in the league. I, I should also mention, um, 
Carlos Carrier is here from Maryland. I don't know if you remember him at all. He's a wide receiver. I can't say that I do. Huge guys, like six foot five. Um, and so he he can help out with Dallas Dixon as well. So I, I think that they're they could have a, a loss or two like that, but I don't expect that it'll happen within league play. Essentially, I, I think that they are extremely well built to win in the MAC and to to probably you know like I think that their their game against Northern Illinois whenever that comes in the season is going to be for the for the West title essentially. Speaking of, let's get into Northern Illinois. Yep. Um, this is, was the ultimate Justin Bieber clutch gene team of last season. <laughs> um, they, they went seven and three in close games, meaning uh, games decided by one score or less. First of all, insane for a team to play in 10 one score games yep. in a single season. Um, just a little much in my end. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think, I think we should be, we should not be supporting that kind of thing. Yeah, they, they, more they, blowouts, they also opinion. had, they had six games that weren't decided until the final two minutes, uh, four of which they, they won and they scored 21 fewer points than they allowed on the season. <laughs> my God. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so of course that's always a good sign, right? Yeah. You know, I yeah. mean, we, we always know the teams that win a ton of close games, reach a success are just probably the most, you know, replicatable and consistent teams year to year. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's number one of the one things you learn. Of course, we're joking. I, mean, I know it's a real problem for regression to the mean here. On the other hand, I think a team that does it that consistently, like over that period of time, like we talked about what it's basically the opposite that we have with Nebraska this past season, right? Mm-hmm. Like Nebraska, f- found a way to lose games. You can see it on their coaches and players' face. Like, you knew they were not big enough for the moment on all these games. Northern Illinois had the opposite thing, where it felt like, yes, there is some randomness, obviously, to how often you win one-score games, and and we know that is, is random to a certain extent. But this also is a team that just gutted out a win week after week after week in a way a lot of other teams could not find a way to do. What kind of regression do you expect? Yeah, so the the thing here that I'm really interested in is that we're going to get to see just how big of a deal that regression is, like just assuming regression is from close games, because I think that the way that they got to those close games and, and won them, as you as you mentioned, are about the most sustainable ways that you could do it, right? Like they, it was not that they had a super havoc heavy defense. Their defense was actually pretty bad. It was not that they were creating a ton of turnovers. I think it was about even. And it, it was with a an offense that didn't feel fly by night that didn't feel really pieced together. They were grinding out yards on the ground. They were staying ahead of the chains. They were trusting Rocky Lombardi to pick up critical yards on third and short rather than on third and long. They weren't really putting him into tough passing downs. And on top of that, they return. If my numbers are right here, 17 players with serious starting experience and 19 with at least some like on top of that 17, <laughs> they they lose like six guys and that's pretty much it like Lance DeVoe is gone the linebacker um Braden Patton is gone Clint Rat, Rat, Ratkovich uh Tyrese Ritchie which is a big loss Dylan Thomas um and then Jay Ducker which is obviously the huge the huge loss at running back and that's a bummer but other than that everybody is back um coaches are all returning and it does. It seems like those close wins last year were not so much a result of of turnover luck, of things that can't be controlled, and were more that NIU had a plan that it believed in, it stuck to it, and it had coaches who were confident in those situations. And so, I think if there's ever been a team that can replicate close game wins outside of like Mark D'Antonio's Michigan State or you know a really good Pat Fitzgerald team, I think that these guys can do it. I think that they're built to do that that sort of thing. And so. They're built different. Yeah, they're built different. Built different. And, and so they, they <laughs> might they might end up dropping like one more close game this season, but I think that with that they're also going to have more comfortable wins because the 
they have so much experience returning and, and we're assuming improvement for a lot of these guys that seems fair based on what we've seen from the coaching staff. Like I would expect that a lot of these players are going to get better because of another year within this program. Yeah, I think it's valid. Um, uh, you know, we are, we are Thomas Hammock heads here, uh, as everyone knows. Uh, I, I mean, this coaching staff, as you alluded to, uh, absolutely rocks. So there's nothing about yeah. it that I don't love. Um, I, I think they are, uh, I, I know we specifically talked about Darylak Paulsa, their offensive line coach, who is back once again, mm-hmm. uh, and is, in my opinion, a rising star of the coaching staff. But just, you know, a lot of dudes on this coaching staff, guys who um, I, I think we, we talked about there had been a brief lapse in recruiting, but it seems like the recruiting has recovered from last time I checked. I'm yep. going to pull up the um, the team rankings now for the conference just to see here. Yeah, but um, this, this is, as you do that, this is a staff that I, I liked looking at it last year coming off a winless season. I thought that Hammock did a really good job of getting proven winners, of getting ideologies that fit together. Eric Eidsness, the offensive yeah. coordinator, is awesome. I think that just... Everything that they're doing, the you know the the biggest insult you can give to a coach is that that he he is hindering his team. I think the biggest compliment you can give, especially at the MAC, is that everything Thomas Hammock is doing makes sense here. It, it all makes right. sense for the program. It makes sense for the talent. I think that there is there's very good alignment within this program, and and they know where they want to go, and everything clicks into that really really well. And I've I've just been I've been super impressed with how this staff and how this team has been put together the last two years. Yeah, um, I couldn't agree more. By the way, they did finish the top three class in the MAC yeah, in 2022. Fine. Yeah, they're fine. <laughs> um, also, I, I did, I did unearth something here that I had not known until just now. Um, if you had to guess, how many combined commits would you think the MAC currently has in the in the current recruiting class of 2023 right now? Let's say eight. One commit uh. in the whole conference. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It is it is Eastern Michigan's class. Um, they have a guy named Drew Viato. Uh, who is a quarterback, in fact, ranked as a top 40 uh, quarterback in the country uh, by 24-7 sports. So uh, good for him. (laughs) uh, He played at Walled Lake, which they had a a quarterback like uh, basically every three years or so go Mm -hmm. go FBS. They had Sam Johnson previously. Remember him? He played at Boston College for a minute. Um, He bounced around a lot. Yeah. Yeah. But um, anyway, uh, back to Northern Illinois. (laughs) Got sidetracked there. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, we talked a little bit about, you know, Jay Ducker and Rocky Lombardi, and um, I think you mentioned Tyrese Ritchie there as well. The offense has a lot of reasons for optimism. Um, the defense even more so, right? Like, I mean, these are these guys are bringing back nine returning starters and a lot more contributors in that back to this defense. What should we expect to see from them in 2021? Yeah. 2022, and, sorry. Yeah, and, and I, I think the defense is definitely, it, it has room to improve. It wasn't super good this past season. Um, but I, I think that it has plenty of space to get better, uh, bring in some transfers. They bring back, like you said, nine starters. Uh, I like the defensive line a lot. James Esther, I think it tackles pretty good. Uh, Ray Thomas was fine on the defensive end. Um, Devonte O'Malley. Okay. At defensive end. The, the biggest question that I have is the pass rush. There wasn't much of it last year, but they bring back pretty much everybody who could be responsible for that sort of thing. And so, I have no reason to think that it isn't going to get better. I, I have no reason to think that the pass rush is not going to improve. And it's it's pretty much the same across the board, right? Like, you know, Nick Ratton is, is back at, at linebacker and should be pretty good and, and was pretty good last year. And <laughs> Makai Nelson-Douglas can rotate in. And Devarin Rayner is pretty good at behind uh, behind DeVoe. Jaden Dolphin can play. 
Um, one of those two is going to end up in the vacant rover spot. One of them is going to take over for DeVoe. Uh, Isaiah Green May is here from Wisconsin, is is a you know, three, four outside linebacker, probably another pass rusher add into that group. Uh, C.J. Brown had 107 tackles as a safety. Let's hope he doesn't have to do that again, but he can tackle, which is <laughs> not... Not necessarily a given for these, you know, these secondary players last year. We know he can do it. Um, Jordan Hansen, Muhammad Jama, uh, Jordan Prophet, all back in the secondary just at safety, right? Like, do you worry there's any kind of conflict there in the position with one guy named Muhammad and one guy named Prophet? <laughs> you gotta, you gotta start to wonder about that. Um, but like, even at cornerback, you know, Javon Bird and Jordan Dandy both back. Jordan Dandy was awesome last year. And so there's so much returning production on this defense that I, I, it has to take a step forward. It just, it just does. It was really young still last year. The offense was really, was really young still last year. And I think that that's lost a little bit in, you know, how good they were right away. And the fact that they won the Mac is, is that, you know, they, they had the close games, they had all that stuff and, and regression is fair, but also they bring back every single player of the team that matters except for Jay Ducker and except for Tyrese Ritchie. But even in their place, you know, Harrison Whaley was a starter before Ducker. He was the starter before he got hurt. Um, Ontario Brown is back, and he played pretty well when he needed to last year. You know, wide, wide receiver, I'm just not super worried about one because they don't pass the ball all that much, but also they, they bring back a, a really good tight end room. They bring back Trayvon Rudolph, who had the 300-yard receiving game last year. They bring back Cole Tucker. And so... Even in the places where there are questions, there are so many more answers. There are so many more guys who you're like, okay, yeah, I could see him stepping up. I could see Trayvon Rudolph, who was significantly better after Tyrese Ritchie got hurt, taking another step forward. I can see Cole Tucker being the possession guy that he kind of was before Ritchie took hold. I can see all of this stuff happening, and it, it is just, you know, even somebody like Shamar Thornton, who hasn't played in three years but was really good at FIU when he was healthy, there are a lot of parts of this team where it's hard to see it not working. It's it's hard to see what the what the path to failure is here outside of just assuming regression because of what they did last season. And I, I think that that's a fair worry. Um, there's not a team in this league that's an obvious slam dunk. Like, you know, if, if Toledo had NIU's coaching staff, they would be. But there, there's not one here. And, and NIU <clears throat> has easily the least questions of the bunch, especially when their question is, um, are they going to get worse based on the assumption that teams that play in a lot of close games get worse? And that's it. That's the worry is that they will, they will just regress because that's what teams do. But there's not any reason to think that outside of, you know, just the, the thought that regression happens because it does. It's not it's not a talent based thing. It's not a roster based thing. And so I, I think that NIU is the favorite here until proven otherwise. Central Michigan, I feel really good about, too. And, and I think that anything beyond that, you have you have a lot more questions. And that's, you know. That's why they're in tier one and why everybody else isn't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, do you have any kind of final thoughts here on Northern Illinois or kind of the conference as a whole before we uh, wrap up, Pat? Um, not not necessarily on Northern Illinois. I I think that the league is going to be fun. I'm excited for the MAC this year. I'm I'm excited, obviously, for every G5 because I just I like them. Um, but I think that this is going to be a year sort of 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 um, power shifting of sorts. I think that. NIU is going to cement, cement itself as as here, as consistent as a program that needs to be considered long-term. I really hope Thomas Hammock doesn't leave. I, I'd like to see him stick around just because I, I like him. I like what he's doing there. I think Central Michigan is going to prove that the, the 7 of 8 was not a, a fluke by any means. I think Kent State's going to keep it up. 
And I think that there's a lot of fun teams coming up from the bottom. You know, Bowling Green, I think, is going to take a step forward. Akron's going to take a step forward. You've got some new faces in Ohio. You've got some new faces in the East. And I, I think that there's plenty of reason to be excited here because we could be seeing sort of a transition into the new era of MAC football where NIU, Central Michigan, Eastern Michigan, you know, even like Bowling Green and, and Akron are more the power programs than the ones that we've seen in the past, like Miami, like Toledo, you know, Western Michigan, teams like that kind of taking a rebuilding year. And I'm, I'm interested to see where that leads beyond this season, because, you know, there's, there's a chance when you, when you do it once that you just keep doing it and that, you know, a team like Akron breaking through just puts them in the place that Ohio used to fill or that, you know, Eastern Michigan can become one of the power programs in the West while Western falls back and, and, you know, Central becomes a serious title contender. And and so I'm just, I'm interested to see where all of this goes. And of course, all of this interest will end in Toledo winning the fucking championship somehow, even though Jason Cannon was the head coach. That's right. To make me look like an idiot. But I'm, I'm, I'm excited about this league. I think that it's going to J- be really Jason Candle's going to going to win the championship and point like he's going to point to the camera and say your name uh-huh. and do like the Aaron Donald ring me celebration yes. for the Super Bowl last night. Yeah. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and Sean Lewis does follow me on Twitter. So there's a decent chance that he could share this with Jason Candle and Jason Candle will do that after winning the Mac championship. So we'll, we'll let's we'll, go. We'll have to Great flex, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, follow, he followed me after I posted the Toledo preview. So I'm, uh, or after I posted the. Kent oh, he's hungry. He, he, uh, after, yeah, after the. He Kent might State have that preview, dog in him. So I'm going to change my feet a little he bit. Was, he was searching through the the Kent State hashtags, and he's like, "Okay, let's go, let's go." My man's yeah, grinding then, the previews. Then I, <laughs> I guess the other hand, Jason Candle is our ultimate hashtag. He's just young coach in yeah. the whole conference. Uh, he's just young. He's not good. He's just young. How old is Jason Candle? Do we know? Forty-two. Okay. Yeah, he's just young. He's not he's not creative. He's not innovative. <laughs> Many are calling him the Ryan Day of the Mac. Oh man. Oh boy. <laughs> he is he is certainly the Mac Campbell of the Mac. That's uh, oh man. I think I think if you're if you're asking for a guy who is the Ryan Day of the Mac, it's it's Sean Lewis. Like <laughs> Okay. All right. Yeah, that's fair. I, I don't mind that. Yeah. I, I don't know about because Jason Candle did at least win the Mac once and Matt Campbell didn't do that. So that's a good point. That's a good a, point. Matt Campbell does suck. Thank you for reminding mm-hmm. me. <laughs> yeah, you you can. All right, Pat. <laughs> On that note, I think I think that's the best way we should end our podcast is reminding everybody that Matt Campbell does in fact suck shit, yep. and he deserves all of the hate we give him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> let's get out of here. Yeah, we're calling him Mac Campbell because he needs to just come back home, take over Toledo again, and go nine and four every year. Um, you can follow okay. the show on Twitter at Field Flipping. You can follow Ryan on Twitter at B1G underscore Ryan. He is, of course, the biggest Mac Campbell head online. So, if you what like, if we what if we called him Mac Campbell because he became like uh, the number one Joe Biden supporter in college football? Mm-hmm. He's just calling everybody <laughs> Mac all the time. I like that. That's that'd be pretty good. Um, <laughs> I'm at Patrick underscore Mayhorn. Uh, the show for people who are new, uh, if you don't know this, the show posts, uh, weekly on, usually on Wednesdays. I know last week it was, yeah. it was on Thursday. If you're coming in for our back preview, it's oh, your first dude, you rock. If this, is your, if this is your first show, you're my favorite listener guy who's just in for the Mac preview. <laughs> you, you like, ser- if you don't stick around for anything else, but you just liked this episode, you're, you, you're wonderful. I love, I love your whole thing. Um, but if you are not new to the show or if you are new and you liked it, you should share it with a friend. Um, it's uh, it helps us out a lot we're you know working to grow the show and i think the best way to do that is from people telling their friends about it i have seen people do it like on twitter i've seen people tag their friends in and that's super cool if you you know if, oh, you, yeah. if you feel comfortable doing that if you like our show enough to do that that's awesome we we really really appreciate that if you just you know 
have a friend who likes weird college football, if you have a friend who graduated from a Mac school and doesn't get to see a ton of coverage of their team, um, and, you know, just send them a text, say, hey, you should check out this podcast. They just did an hour right. and 40 minutes on the Mac. We we would we really would and, appreciate and, it. And to clarify, if they don't respond to your text or they don't tell you, like they don't send you a screenshot or screen recorder uh-huh. and act with us into the podcast, <laughs> what you should do <laughs> is go on a like 45 to 50 post rant and yeah. uh, a Kanye West style Instagram tag your friend and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tell them they're a bad guy. Tell them what they're doing is wrong. Yeah. Uh, put them in all caps. Send them physical threats. Mm-hmm. Um, really get them in line. Like, yeah, like ask, let's get this thing straightened out. Ask them why they do not have that dog in them. What what happened? Where did your parents go wrong <laughs> that you didn't get that dog in you? And they just don't if, oh yeah if they don't listen to the show they don't have that dog in them and you don't want your friends to be accused of that and so save them from not having that dog in them by uh sending them this episode of the show or really any of the episodes of the show except for the bad ones which um it's impossible to say which ones those are because they're all good and yeah so just uh yeah it, it, we we really do appreciate it it sounds like we're joking but we're not it's it's much appreciated we really enjoy when we see people doing that and see new people finding the show and uh it it helps to make this realistic for us to do for you know the extended uh <laughs> the extended future and so if you if you like it please do share the show we we greatly appreciate it when you do that's right and remember as a guy who watches ball the off season is door season it's time to flex mm-hmm. we'll talk to you next week <laughs>